Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for another Supercoach episode, the preseason preview episode number three. We've got two teams today. It's the Sydney Roosters as well as the mighty Newcastle Knights, which is great because I've got Luke Garrity, number one Knight supporter, co-host of the Rugby League Cemetery Podcast, which is a fantastic podcast to jump into as well, especially if you like some of the old games. And also very, very, very prominent, Jersey collector these days. Luke Garrity, it's been probably six months. Welcome back. Cheers, mate. Good to be back. Been training the house down. Really keen to go for the season. Should be good. I'm getting really keen. It sort of woke up the other day and went, we're not that far away now. Closing in. It's very exciting. Yeah, it is. It's it's a lot closer than I thought. I think that um the the week earlier kickoff kind of got a few people where it's like it certainly got me where I, I always sort of think, oh yeah, it's around mid-March or whatever. And it's like actually. We're only like five weeks away now. I better better get things into gear and start doing things a bit faster and uh, <laughs> starting true. to have a look at things a little bit more and stuff. But it's good. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it as well. I've been really enjoying the podcast so far. For those that have been listening, it's just going to be super coach episodes for the preseason. We are going to have the NRL Talk and Footy podcast back when the season gets towards kickoff in March. And those will talk about just rugby league things, not super coach. But for these episodes and for this one, Super coach it is. Sydney Roosters, that's the first cab off the rank. Let's talk about them. Most listeners will know that's my team. Uh, but in saying that, I think that I'm not being biased by saying I, I think that they're going to be one of the better teams this year. I'm, I'm pretty much looking I'm looking forward to it. But I said that last year as well, and it wasn't quite as good as what I would have hoped. When I'm having a look at the gains and losses, Luke, for the Roosters, I, there, there obviously wasn't too many games outside of Brandon Smith that are going to be noteworthy. Brandon Smith was obviously a big one. Corey Allen, I saw a few people talk about and stuff and think that that was, you know, going to point towards him starting or something. He's not going to. He's going to be the New South Wales Cup player. He's going to be the quintessential Roosters signing of someone with a bit of experience that can play a couple of different roles in that back three. And he's going to come through in origin time probably or, or with injury. So I liked it as a signing. It's a low low-value one, and certainly not going to be one where he's in the first grade squad all year. Jackson Paulo was another one, which I'm interested that maybe he's possibly starting now. So we'll talk about that a little bit when we go through the players. I didn't think that was going to be the case when we signed him. And Jake Turpin's a late one. Only a month or two ago, we signed Jake Turpin, and he's going to now be the backup hooker, maybe in New South Wales Cup, maybe on the bench, who knows. But the losses... There was a lot of losses, but I think, you know, when Luke, when people make these salary cap jokes about the Roosters, which, you know, a bit cliche these days, but they're always there. It's uh, There's actually a lot of losses, So, but a lot of little ones. So there's heaps of guys that were sort of those, those backup type of guys, some of them on a little bit better money than backup money because of their, I guess, experience level and stuff. But uh, Tony wasn't on much money. He's gone. Adam Kieran was quite good at times for the Roosters. He's gone. Lachlan Lamb. Freddie Lussick, uh, Kevin Agama, uh, these type of guys that were sort of always going to be the backup type of guys that did get some first grade time. But a couple of real big losses for them. Sam Verrills I've always loved ever since he was coming through the grades as a youngster, uh, and he's finally moved on, uh, which I'm quite sad about, but he was on okay money. But CSC Waitakiaho, 
He will go down as one of my favourite Roosters forwards of all time. He obviously has dropped off a little bit the last couple of years. People forget that he had probably a 12 to 24 month period where he was probably considered the best prop in the world. He had a phenomenal one year in particular, where especially in his representative jumper, he just absolutely killed it. He he he's a big loss, especially with the Roosters' middles that they need coming through, and he was on a bit a lot of coin as well. So that basically freed up the money for for the Brandon Smith signing. So. I guess when you look at it, Luke, uh, as far as sort of starting caliber guys, it's probably pretty similar in their gains and losses, but certainly a lot of depth went out the window for the Roosters. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think Brandon Smith is a really good good in for them. Um, Takiyaho is a big loss. So overall, I think they're probably a little bit stronger this year on their on their first team, just on what Takiyaho was actually putting out. I thought he was actually quite good last year at various points, but but certainly if you look at his output, now, rather than his name value, I think having him go out and Smith come in, albeit in a different position, is probably strengthens the starting 13 in terms of firepower and that kind of thing. Um, for me, I, I think, and I'm sure we'll get into it when we look at how they'll go, but that's going to be the question again, is that I think that their starting 13 is, is very, very good uh, and their depth is very, very skinny. So they, they really need to keep some of these guys on the park uh, this year. That's going to be the big thing for them, I think. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's obviously been spoken about quite a bit that the Roosters have had a lot of injuries the last couple of years and it's been fairly unlucky. The thing with luck is it normally evens out. So it, it would be pretty crazy statistically if they had a third season in a row where they got, you know, three ACL injuries and a heap of different things happened. So that will hopefully mean that the depth isn't tested too much. Uh, I have them penciled in as a top couple of team. Like I think... Penrith and the Roosters, for me, are, are probably one and two, and you could have them in either order, I guess. Um, and my, the Roosters fan in me likes to think that they have a shot at the minor premiership at number one, but certainly I'd say I think their range is one to five, and that's kind of where I've got them penciled in at. I can't see them dropping out of, sort of that top five, and realistically, like the, if they're not top four, I think it would be a little bit of a failure in the regular season. Yeah, I think so. I'd be surprised if they were outside the top four. I was having a look at the uh, sort of top eight from last year and you look at who's got better and who's dropped players because um, often you can get a team from six, sign three really good players or someone at the top loses three good players or whatever it is and look what's changed. And I, I would say that the Roosters are the only top six side that I would say are markedly seem to have potentially improved um, in that they've got I know, like, I like Verrills as well, but, you know, he, he's, a, he's a steady, good player and he misses half the season, sort of every season. Um, and if they have Brandon Smith play every week uh, for the year, I think that's a pretty big step up. And you then go, Penrith have dropped a couple of players. Uh, Melbourne have, have dropped uh, a, a lot, like half the forward pack right off and have Pappenhausen under a cloud. And then you look over and there's probably Parramatta have dropped a few players uh, a few forwards so you look around the other top sides uh, Souths are probably pretty similar um, but you look around all of that and the Roosters are the only one I think's got better so if they were to you know finish outside the four I think that would be a disappointment uh, they were in that bottom half of the eight last year but they really came home very very strongly and were looking really competitive and then got that bizarre semi-final happen so I thought they were on track in the second half of last year to what I thought they'd be, but started really slow. So if they can start well this year and they keep people in the park, top four. But my concern really is that depth. Um, people will think, oh, they've got crazy depth because they've got Manu and, and Sawali playing outside of, you know, not playing in the spine. And that means that if you lose a half, Manu goes to 5'8 
or fullback. Suwali can go to fullback. And, and that is great. They actually have great coverage from their starting players moving uh, into spine positions, but their actual depth across the park is really poor. I've seen over the last year or two them play some absolutely atrocious centres, um, some really bad sort of forwards have snuck onto the bench in my view, and they've also had to really do some dodgy hooker work. Um, and they're probably, in my view, still only, if Brendan Smith was out, uh, I don't think, I think Turpin, well, Turpin couldn't make Brisbane and is, is well past it. And, and I think some of the backs that are going to come in are going to be pretty gross. So it really is going to come down to that. They really, I, I don't think they can afford to, to start having guys go down the way they have before at all. And that that might really, really hurt them because it just exposes weaknesses. Um, you saw Hutchinson, for example, at center just targeted relentlessly in the final last year and that kind of thing. There's going to be too many targets like that playing where they shouldn't really be if, if you get bulk injury. So they just need to stay fit. And if they're fit, they should be in the top four. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. One thing with their depth is uh, another thing that's just happened as well is that Watson got injured in the preseason. And we don't know Ooh. the extent of that really still because the Roosters have been fairly quiet about it. Looks like he will be out though. Um, but Satili Tupanua is a injury hangover from his ACL mm. and he'll be back mid-season. So, I mean, that will help them in the Ford stocks when he returns mid-season. Watson, maybe he has a bit of a layoff too already and he's going to be back mid-season, but that's a couple of big ins into their 17 later. They have mm. got some okay young kids coming through, a couple of decent grades there. Uh, there's certainly room for some of these guys to come up. I think that there's always been huge traps on the Butcher boys. We've seen Nathan Butcher come through very well. Uh, but Egan Butcher, sort of last year, I think he really warmed to first grade. And there's a lot of big talk on him this season as well. So perhaps some of those younger guys are going to get better. Uh, the other young forward to watch out for is Wong. Wong will get game time this year and will take a rotation spot potentially on the bench. Uh, so he's he's a very, very good player and still only young in his teens. So they've got a couple of those coming through still as well. So maybe they're hedging their bets with that. And something that only just happened yesterday was that they did sign... A young Super League winger from Wakefield, Lewis Murphy, and he's a 20-year-old that's a very noted try scorer. Now, obviously, that's you know, not necessarily translatable straight over to uh, to being successful in the NRL, which we saw with with young Joe Burgess several years ago coming over. <laughs> Didn't quite work out in his NRL career, but he was a big try scorer. So, you know, we'll wait and see. But that's another development option for the Roosters in the Cup. So it, it could be okay. Uh, so we'll wait and see with that. But let's have a look at the draw, Luke. It's one of those things with this draw for super coach that you look at the first two weeks and you go, wow, I really want some Roosters players. Mm. They start with the Dolphins and then they hit up the Warriors. And the Warriors game's at home, which is really important because they obviously don't have to travel to New Zealand. That's probably the best first two teams to start with, the, the Warriors at home and the Dolphins. Now, after that, they hit Souths, which is traditionally a very tough game, although there's been some decent super coach points in it in recent years. And then they've got to buy. So all of a sudden you look at that first direct month and you go, well, what do I do here? Because missing some guys in round four, that's pretty brutal. And I think for me, I like the draw. I want to have some roosters for it because those first two weeks, you can get a really good leg up. If the roosters come out firing, they could they could really blitz those first two rounds of football then obviously you're going to have to take that round four hit. But after that, you've gotten to around 13. So the good thing is that after that round four buy, they do have um, a harder few weeks where they hit Parramatta, they hit the Storm, 
and they also hit the Sharks. But I will say in that first five weeks, four out of those five are at home, so that's good. After that um, tough three period between five and seven, they then play round eight, the Dragons, and then the Warriors. So it's another good couple of games. And they have another couple of hard ones in the Cowboys and the Panthers, but they, then they hit the Dragons before the bye again. So I do think overall, if they didn't have that bye there, it would be a pretty good draw to start with. Um, but that bye kind of throws a spanner in the works. Where do you kind of see that draw for Supercoach? Because I found myself throwing Roosters in, and then I kind of took a couple out because I went, well, I need to balance out that round four. And I think that's that's the key, not having too many for round four, but also targeting some good ones. Yeah, I, I wouldn't let it spook you off anyone that, that you really like, um, but I would be a little bit cautious about completely going all in if you've got a, you know, if, you, if you're talking 50-50 guys, so if you look at like a Daniel Tupu and you think he's got some value or something and then there's another guy at the same price bracket who doesn't have the buy um, for longer, then you might use that as a bit of a tiebreaker. But I certainly wouldn't let, I wouldn't let it dictate you leaving out a Tedesco or a Crichton or someone that was really top tier that you really wanted. Um, you know, it, it's, it's the thing is, is people do forget sometimes. They go, oh, such and such has a buy, but, I mean, but you don't score zero points in the buy, you do bring someone to replace them or outside your squad. So if, if, for example, if you really see Tedesco as a chance to score a hundred twice in the first three weeks, um, that's, you know, 200 points in two rounds. And if you've got someone you can bring off the bench, that's going to score 35, 40 points to replace him in that buy week. Um, that's a pretty good, that's like a three rounds is, is 240 points. Even if you only get 60 in the other, that's 300 in four weeks or whatever. So if you see him coming out really hard, uh, you're not getting a donut in week four. You, you're going to play someone. And as long as you've got someone, you know, that's going to score you 35, 40 points or whatever and, and get around, that's worth it if you really see him doing well. Um, but I guess maybe where it's more relevant is forwards, um, particularly base forwards. And I don't think there's too many of them at the Roosters. Like Crichton's one you'd bring in if you see him scoring tries because he does have 100 in him. But if you see a guy in there that you think is going to get you 55 points every week and there's the buy in round four, I, I would probably be inclined to pick someone else and that's the way I'd look at it but I wouldn't let it talk you out of upside players that you think are going to score big because bank the big score back your gut on it and plug someone in for a week and you're going to come out on top anyway yeah I agree um that's pretty much the way I think that you should look at it and one of the things that we haven't spoken about enough with the draws because it is a tricky year with draws with all the mm. all the buys everywhere is the fact that Supercoach has given us 46 trades this year and all the trade boosts again so we do have a plethora of trades to use. Mm. Uh, one of the tactics that I think, you know, some coaches certainly have done in the past and, and it can pay off uh, is you can just look at burning those trades uh, on these buy periods now where, for instance, you might say, look, I really like those first two weeks of the Roosters and I'm, I'm going to take the first three games of, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I do this, but just as an example, like say I'm really high on Daniel Tupu and I'm sure that there'll be heaps of jokes about that, about me saying that because <laughs> I love tips. But, like, say that you are, right? Throw him in there, take the three games out of him, and then round four, trade him out. And he's going to be a direct swap for another gun that you can put in and hit on that draw, and they're not going to have the buy. You know, you could do something like that. If you wanted to get really crazy, and, again, I'm not going to recommend this, but I like to give everyone all the different types of angles or ways of thinking. If you want to get really crazy, you could say, look, I'm going to go, I'm going to run with Tedesco for the first three weeks, but because he's taken up a valuable fullback spot, I'm pretty concerned that I'm not going to have two gun fullbacks playing round four. And then Tedesco does have a hard three weeks where he hits 
the Parramatta Eels, the Melbourne Storm and the, and the Cronulla Sharks. And two out of those three are away games as well. Maybe you go, you know what? I'm going to play a bit of fullback roulette. I'm going to throw, I'm going to start with Teddy. And then when his ownership's at like 50% for that buy period, I'm going to like jump off him and go on to a Scotty Drinkwater that has a really good round, you know, five mm. to seven run. And I could always swap them again later. So you can play the draw a little bit like that. There is some strategies around that as well. And I think that you're going to have to think a little bit outside the box sometimes with these buys every week that a team's going to have. Yeah, I think that's true. And the other thing you can do specifically with the round four um, draw, which is, is something I, I had thought about but hadn't looked into deeply yet, is that I think it's the Dragons that have the buy in round one. Um, so I'm sure yep. someone can correct me if I'm wrong. So there's going to be, if you eye off, if you think there's a player in that squad for, you know, maybe it's a Tyrrell Sloan or, or something that you think you might bring in, um, or even if there's a couple of them, what you can actually do is rather than have them chewing up space from round one, if you really like someone like the Roosters draw um, or, or someone with a buy around that time, you can plug them in and take those early scores, then look at how those Dragons players are going and plug someone in who's going to make money, like rather than sitting Tyrrell Sloan from, say, round one and not getting a price rise. I'm just using him as an example because he's reasonably priced and a lot of people will look at him, um, is that you could be sitting there and playing a Tupu, whoever it might be, uh, take your points, and then if he does look good in those first few weeks, once the Roosters get the buy, you swap out and ride the cash rise with the Dragon. Um, and if it doesn't work out, you can do a straight swap to another gun for Tupu. And it's something I think people do need to look at, where rather than, you know, with these guys having the buy in round one, you can you can get a free look at them, run some guys with a good early draw, and then actually use rather than taking the punt we usually have to take at the start of the season on cheapies without seeing them. You can do what you do in the middle of the year and just watch these guys for a couple of weeks and pump them in. Um, and that's one option people can look at to bank some points and then shift to those round four cheapies, which we don't usually get. It's a very rare scenario that you would get cheapies in round four, but we're going to have them because the dragons are going to have a couple potentially. Yeah, and that's a that's a really good point too. I like that. And you, I mean, you could even trade two by after the first two weeks. Like yeah. you could say, like they play South round three. Round three is going to be price rises, mm. and you could really plan out. If you really want to get into intricate detail, you could really plan out what you want to do and go. Look, there's um, I'm, I'm, there's this other gun forward that I'm not going to be able to get in the first couple of weeks. But we all know with all these mid ranges that we're going to end up with in cheapies, there's going to be a disappointment, mm. and we're going to see that happen in the first two weeks. And you might even see one of these guys that's going to lose money. But if you've got the, you know, the Daniel Tupo example, and again, everyone, I must stress, I'm not using Daniel Tupo as go get him in. That's not what I'm saying. This is an example. <laughs> I'm going to say that Daniel Tupo is, you know, what, a 320K price difference between someone like Sloan. Um, Sloan's going to go up from round three onwards. So you can downgrade to from Tupo to a Sloan after getting the points which frees up 300K odd in cash, and then you start to get the Sloan price rises, provided the Sloan performs the first two weeks and you like what mm. you see, or whatever other cheapy props up that you're going to have to get as a must-have. And then you just upgrade someone that didn't work out out of your 10 mid-ranges straight to a gun straight away, and you'll be able to do that. So it is a bit of a different strategy. Um, I don't want to talk too much strategy because we need to get through these players. So let's go straight into them. For the guns, for the roosters, number one gun is James Tedesco. 79.5 average, 836,300 to start this year. I think that with Teddy, one of the things that we've got to talk about straight away is the fact that people talk about there, there's this, there's this, I'm going to say misconception that he starts slow. He averaged 79 points a game last year. That was his lowest since 2018. But 
in saying that, you know, he came out and hit 32 points against your Newcastle Knights last year. <laughs> and everyone's got this thing in their head, or a lot of people do, that he starts slow. If you go through the numbers, though, uh, despite starting round one with that 32, he still averaged 67 for the first month. And round one to 10, he averaged 71. So, look, it, it's not a bad start at all. Uh, but you only have to go back one more year, 2021. He averaged 105 points for the first month and 88 points for round one to 10. So, look, I, I really don't think that he starts slow. Um, if he does what he did 2021, you get burnt really hard by not having James Tedesco because he averages 105 for that first month. It's not even just that tear that he goes on. It is the fact that he's been captain Supercoach teams as well, especially against the Warriors and the Dolphins. A lot are going to captain him. He's 42% owned, so he's got that high ownership. And sometimes you want to go away from that high ownership with some guns, right? You sort of go, well, I'm trying to choose between these two, and and this guy's so highly owned. I'm I'm going to buck that trend. With the top-tier players, you you don't want to do that because they they can really, really burn you. And James Tedesco is a guy that can really, really burn you. 166 points in the first two rounds for one of his games last year, for instance. And even if you go before that, he was still basically averaging 75 a game for the two years prior for the first month. So it's not, he doesn't start slow. I think that people should probably get that out of their head. Um, And I think that it's one of those things, Luke, where for me, he was one of the first players that I put in. Um, He's my number one fullback and it's that second fullback spot that I'm trying to decide between. You can also look at the fact that he had his lowest score average wise since 2018 and say, well, there might actually be some upside there. You know, so I think that when you're looking at a guy that came second in tackle breaks last year in the entire NRL, was fifth in runs, that type of work rate where he's got a 56 base base attack, I think it's an easy plug and leave for round one for me. How do you feel about James Tedesco 2023? Yeah, I'm going to have him in. Um, Look, you look around and it's it's one of the good things about Supercoach now is there are options. Uh, There's a a time where it was pretty obvious you're going to have to have him. And there was a year where it was like, well, it's going to be him and Turbo. But but nowadays you look across and you could make a legitimate case for taking Turbo, Puppenhausen, Luttrell and, and you know, in there as well or going cheaper. But but for me, uh, it's just the, the bankability is what I need with it. Uh, I'm going to spend the money and I'm going to have to take a bit of a flyer on the second spot if I want two guns. But at the end of the day, um, I just know he will score pretty well. Like he's not going to have a year where he averages 55, you know, his downsides in the seventies. He, he plays most of the games. He doesn't get hurt a lot at all. And I'm confident he'll get on the park and contribute. When you look at the other ones for the money they're priced at, um, now you can take a fairly cheap turbo and, and I probably will. And that, that's great. But you've got two spots. Um, Pappenhausen is a hell of a lot of money carrying injury. Um, and then you've got Latrell, who has, has traditionally been a slow starter and tends to come in and, uh, you know, carrying a bit of weight and condition as the year goes on. Um, he had a great run in the back half of last year after he had time off on his conditioning, specifically on his conditioning um, for his hammy. So he's a guy that I, I'm always a bit hesitant on at round one. And and so to me, for the price, I think everyone else comes with a risk. Um, Papenhausen being he's coming off a very serious injury and is, you know, remains to be seen when exactly he's back and, and what shape he's in. Latrell has a history of, of, of coming out slow at the start of the year. Um, and then Turbo, you're taking a fairly significant injury risk. So I just feel, I just think one of them has to be him. 
and you take your flyer on the other one you like. If you think Latrell's going to buck the trend, go for it. Parpenhouse on Turbo. But I just couldn't see myself taking two of them and not Teddy. So I feel like I'm taking mm. two risks for big money. Um, and so to me, I think I want Teddy and then I'm going to, and for me, it'll probably be Turbo, but well, whoever it is, take your risk on the other one you want. The other three have huge upside, but with risk. And I just think Teddy, you're just banking that he will be good. It's just gonna, that's what will happen. He just will be good at the end of the year <laughs> kind of thing. It's a, he doesn't get hurt either, no. really. So like no. he's played 23 games last year, 20 games the year before. He had 17 in 2020, but before that, 21 and 22 games. So he plays yep. the majority of the season. And that's the problem with literally every other top shelf fullback. Yep. They don't is. have mm. that consistency. You know, he he played um, round one all the way through to the first buy. That's really such a big deal when you compare him to the other fullbacks. And then you've got his consistency where, you know, we know that someone like Latrell, for example, at fullback, can absolutely just gun it and just kill it as we saw him do last year for an eight-game stretch, but it was all attack. Teddy, you know, is going to get to that 60-plus. He did it over 70% of the time last year. He got 60-plus scores, and that was a down year for him scoring-wise. So you just have that consistency. And I mentioned before, second in the league in tackle breaks um, and right up there in runs, then that just shows how he actually gets his points, which I really like. He gets those big points and that big floor because... He absolutely kills it on his work rate. He's always involved. He only had like 13 tries. He mm. doesn't He doesn't need to get heaps of tries and line breaks like some of these other guys. So I've, I've got him penciled in. I think that he's um, a, one of the top guys to have in your team to start with. And like Luke said, I agree. You can sort of go with that second guy that's going to be a bit more risky. And to be honest, most of the other fullbacks are going to have some sort of risk with them. I don't actually see any risk with Teddy other than you're going to have to sit him in round four and have a look at what your team looks like when that happens. Yeah, I agree. That's the thing is that I just don't want to take two risks. I can see a scenario where I lock in Pappenhausen, for example, and Latrell Mitchell. And Latrell Mitchell comes out and does nothing for a month um, and then goes wild later after I sell him at a big loss or something. And Pappenhausen either doesn't start the year because his knee starts playing up or he plays, but he's really off the pace because it's a very serious injury. Or I pick Turbo and Pappenhausen and Turbo's injured in two weeks. You know what I mean? Like all those things Mm. happen. And I just feel with Teddy, he's just the normal risk of any NRL player. He could get hurt on any given day, obviously, but the risk is not elevated. And the chances of him just plumping out 20s are very low. So I go, right, take Teddy and then take one punt. Find the other guy you like. And maybe go the low ownership with the other guy. Look at those three and take the one no one else is taking by all means, but I just don't want to take two risks in a key position. I want the lock-in, and then I'm going to take the, the other position I'll use to take the guy that I think is going to, you know, I'll take a pun on one out of three to, to, to flog it in. Other gun to talk about in this rooster side is Joey Manu. So Manu had a career year by mile. He had 800. He comes in 801,500, had a 76.2 average. It's, uh, it's quite a remarkable year for Manu. I haven't traditionally been a fan in the past, but in saying that, he's trajected up for the last five years. He's gone 44 points a game in 2018 to 49, to 56, to 62, and to 76. Obviously, a massive career year, and he's only just hit 26 years of age. So he is right in his prime. Having said that, the glass half empty approach for Joey Manu. He had two games out of position that he absolutely brained it in. He had a game where he played six against the Dragons, which a lot of people remember. He scored 191 points and even came off for an early shower eight minutes to go. And he had another game 
playing in the number one jersey in round 13 when Teddy was on origin duty and he scored 130 points. He's obviously going to be starting the season centre. Um, he never goes into those other roles until the season sort of rolls on a third of the way through. If you take those two games out, you know, he's, his fantastic average actually drops down to 68 points per game. Now, that, that's still fantastic for a centre, but it's something to take into account when you're having a look at him as an option. 801000 the most expensive centre wing that you can have. I feel really bad saying this, Luke, because I love Joey Manu in real life. And I feel like every preseason I talk down on him as a super coach option for the start. And this is important for everyone to know. This is for round one, right? None of us are saying, you know, any of these opinions are going to count six weeks in or whatever because things change, strategy changes, and you're going to get some of these guys in. Joey Manu, you will get in during the year. But paying 800000 for him as a centre wing that he's going to start as a centre wing, that if you look at last year's first month, he killed it against the Cowboys in round four. But before that, 47, 29 and 75, he's going to start dropping a lot of cash. As a centre, he just doesn't get it done as often for the Roosters as what he does when he's out of position. He did buck that trend last year, though, Luke. So I guess the counter-argument is he's 26 in his prime. He had a base-base attack of 59 last year. Um, that could be you know, still 52 if you put his centre games and take away his outside centre games. Maybe he is going to be the number one centre wing again. How do you feel about it, though, at 801000 For me, he's way too expensive to throw in your centre wing to start with. Absolutely no interest at that price. He'll have a good season. He'll be fine. Uh, they get him roaming around really well. So he's going to have some big days, but I'm not, you know, you can't spend that at center wing to start the season. Uh, there's going to be days where he doesn't roam in as much because they're playing a really good team and they're just not getting that front football that lets him go all over the field. And there'll be days where they flog a team and it's just not him because it happens when you've got a lot of mouths to feed that they could easily win by 40 and Teddy scores a hat-trick and someone else gets a couple and he just doesn't have to put that work in. So his work rate goes down and if he doesn't fall over the line for a try. So I just can't pay that for him. I'll be looking at him during the year, but I, I have no interest in spending 800 grand at centre wing for round one. <laughs> Yeah, I'm exactly the same. And like what Luke pointed out there is a really valid point to remember. At centre, he doesn't necessarily get involved in some of the good super coach point scoring that the Roosters might have, you know, and that we saw that again last year, even though he bucked it a little bit last year. Round two versus Manly, the Roosters went really well and he scored 29 points. Uh, and then when you have a look at some of the other key matchups against lower teams, round six, he played the Warriors and he scored 27 points. Round eight, he played the Bulldogs and he scored 27 points. You know, he had some real low games against some real low sides. And he also sometimes goes really well against, you know, the good sides. 85 points against a full-strength Melbourne side. He is hard to pick at centre, and that's the problem with him. It's hard to pick when he's going to have those good games generally, even when he is coming off a really good season like last year at centre. Like Luke said, sometimes he just doesn't get the attack because he's not in that spine. He's not the guy controlling things. And he's not going in as much because they do have wingers and a fullback that does that quite a bit as well. So if he's out of position, you know, if Teddy ever went down with an injury um, in a preseason at 800,000, you'd go, Manu at fullback, get him straight in. Fantastic option. But at centre wing for round one at that price, I just, I don't think that you can do it. I do think that he'll have a good year, Luke. So to finish off on Manu, you know, he averaged 76 last year, 62 the week four. His average has gone up five years in a row. Where do you see his average hitting? For me, I think he's going to be around 66 points a game, somewhere in between 2021 and 2022, and up there with the top uh, centre wings, but you can probably get him at 200, 250,000 less during the year. 
Yeah, I think probably in the 60s somewhere, maybe the high 60s. Uh, again, just depends on the injury. If he ends up at 5'8 or fullback, then it'll be well, well above that. But assuming all things being equal, that would probably be about right. 13% owned too, so not even a pod. Mm. Um, so you know, you're not even going to get the pod 2% value out of having him. So definitely look elsewhere for round one. Angus, 697,100. He is a second-row forward eligible player that is coming off a season where he's averaged 66.3 points per game. Uh, Interesting with Angus, he is not highly owned like I thought he would be. You know, there's obviously the team builds that I think most people have where you're going to have like one gun second rower in there at least. I've got two, but I would think a lot of team builds have one gun second rower in there. He's obviously expensive, but he's only just gone up to 10% ownership from 9% ownership the other day. So he was almost in pod territory and he's on the cusp of it at the moment still. He's coming off a, a season that is respectable at 66 points a game, but it should be certainly better. So I think what happened with him, if you go through the numbers, his first three games actually weren't very good. Uh, and that actually helps with his value for me for this year. His first three games, he went 66, 45, 34, 49. He actually had a real bad first month. But what ended up happening is he had four games from round three to round six where he played off the bench. Uh, One of them he ended up coming off the bench and starting anyway, but three of them where he played 36, 35 and 52 minutes. That means he's got tremendous value to me. It's his worst season in three years. If you look at how he finished the year, um, his final third of the season, he averaged 85 points per game. I've got him in my side at the moment. I really love him. How do you feel about Crichton for this year? Uh, I've had him in some drafts, and I think I might end up with him just because he, he's fairly consistent. Uh, if you look over his scores over the, pretty much his whole career, that that's pretty much as bad as he's got by the year where he's been played off the bench quite a lot by the Roosters. And it, it's he's just going to be good enough to make my side. I, I, as, it, it's a weird one because outside of Supercoach, I actually think he's got worse every year as a player. I think... I, actually I'm much lower on him than I was three or four years ago. I think that he's fallen into the trap that a lot of back rowers fall into, which is that they lose their agility and just get thicker and thicker um, as, as time goes on. And I think we're seeing more and more of the best edge back rowers in super coach and, and actual NRL be younger as time goes on. Cause a lot of these guys just keep bulking up and bulking up and they lose a lot of agility. And I'm much less impressed with him as a footballer than I was a few years ago, but you can't argue with the numbers. He just seems to get it done often enough. Uh, he, th- he offloads the ball, which is a big difference, particularly as an edge player, because you're just not going to get the, the flat-out hit-ups. You need to be tackle-busting or offloading to get that base up, and he, he does that. And I, I think with, with Kiri and Walker, he's just always going to find a couple of tries. He runs a good line, and oh, I couldn't talk anyone out of it. I don't think that he's going to burn you if you go another way. I know he's got a big score in him, but but generally speaking, I'd... I'd go with your gut on him. I wouldn't be scared to leave him out if you like to look at someone else. But I think he's pretty solid. You get him in, I think the worst that's going to happen is he averages 60s and you're a bit underwhelmed. And the upside is that he, he could average in the 70s and he could easily score two tries and knock out 130 um, early on and make you feel really good about yourself. Yeah, yep. And the, the other thing that happened between round one and 10 last year is a lot of that he ended up uh, on the right-hand side. And he ended up switch. He switched edges, basically. Oh, I hated that. I hated that so much. I have no idea why they were doing that. Yeah. Terrible. Well, I mean, <laughs> almost as soon as he switched back, it was better. Yeah. So yeah. that's the other thing too. Like that that first third of the season, he had three games which were very low minutes off the bench, and he was on the wrong side for him. 
and that's not going to be there this year. So all of a sudden, you know, you can talk yourself in there being quite a bit of value there. And even just when you look at his base base attack, when you're looking at his runs, offloads and tackle breaks, it was down last year, um, but it was still pretty good at 61. And that sort of tells you how good his base is with his base and base attack. But it was 69 Mm -hmm. in 2020. So if you look back, he's actually had higher base base attack and it's been 10 to 18% higher in the past. So his work rate certainly dropped off last year, but some of that can be attributed to the fact that he, he was on a, experimented on a different side for a little bit and more so he had those three bench games, which aren't going to be there this year. So to me, that says that he can definitely go up to 70 plus as an average. And it's only a small bit of value, but when you're talking about you know top shelf guns, these are guys that you want in your side anyway. So if you can find four or five points of value in them, that's great. And I like that he showed a big upside when the Roosters were firing last year because a lot of people will remember the Roosters didn't start very well last year. And you can throw injuries out of that. They just weren't playing very good football to start the season and were a bit inconsistent the first couple of months especially. He had a When they were firing, he had a career-best score of 161 points. So 161 points from a, from a back rower, there's not many strike weapons in your second row forward that can actually pull those type of scores off. And he had 130 score as well last year too. So he does have that upside, Luke. And a lot of the time it's hard to find those guys because a lot of the time you're looking at these guys with those big scores and you go, there's guys that either have this big upside score and generally a lot of them have a low floor or there's guys that have a really big floor but they don't have that that real high upside score in them. A lot of the forwards kind of are one or the other. Very rare to see a mix of both. And, he, and he's got that mix of both, which is why I really like him, especially with that early draw the first two weeks. Yeah, I think that's all fair enough. He's been in a few of my teams and I think he probably ends up there because I like a little bit of safety for the reason you mentioned is I feel like a bad, bad week is almost 45 um, rather than someone who's, you know, and an, and an average week 60 and he might get that big score. And like you said, the, the worry is that, you know, a David Fafita, for example, can easily drop 30 or get benched um, in exchange for that 130 to 160. So um, it's, yeah, that, that's a good point. And I think, you, you know, certainly worth consideration, particularly if you're being speculative in other positions in that back row, if you're going to go super cheap and really look at value in that position, you want the gun you pick to be pretty safe. That's sort of my trade-off. If I'm going to take a few punts on a position, I need to back that. But I can't then be also taking a punt with my guns. Um, I've got to, if I'm going to start a few mid-rangers or a few quite cheap players and hope they go well, I can't afford to then have the guy I'm paying six, $700,000 for not score well. <laughs> that, that can really hurt you. Yeah, and I've seen some teams building with just no gun second rowers. And like, it might work. Like, I'm not going to degrade it and say it's it's not going to work as a strategy i don't feel safe with it like i, I really don't feel no. safe playing starting in the starting 13 a, a katoa a hopgood and a ghana or something like that like i just think that there's so many points that can be left on the table and in head to head as well you're going to struggle against other sides with the strike second rowers so like angus is by no means a must-have everyone but he's he's definitely one of the top considerations in my opinion for you to having your top few options as a second row forward. I've actually got two gun second row forwards that I'm paying for, and one of them's Angus at the moment. I, I don't see Angus probably changing from my side, but definitely a consideration for everyone. Um, I think that he will be in for a good year, uh, and those first two weeks could be absolute crackers for him. Fallen guns, Brandon Smith. He has come over to the Roosters from the Storm to play hooker. He's coming off a year of 45 points a game, which is his worst since 2019. 2021, he was an out-and-out gun, 68 points a game, best season of his career, 
fully cemented gun status and then dropped off 23 points. Now, his minutes went from 60 minutes in 2021 down to 49 in 2022. A lot of people will look at that and say, oh, that's where it is. It isn't really. That only accounts for not even half of his drop-off from where he was. So that's half of it. Um, The other point to mention is he dropped 20% in his productivity. So when you're looking at points per minute, his PPM was 1.13 in 2021. He had a career low 0.92 PPM in 2022. You know, that's that's a big drop-off for a guy like him. So I guess when you're having a look at the numbers and things, Luke, you know, he comes in priced on that 45.5 average and you go, well, 478,200. That's reasonably cheap. He hasn't been particularly super coach relevant for round ones in the past, although we blew that out of the water two years ago. But the fact that he's coming to this rooster side off 49 minutes per game and he's coming in to start at hooker, you know, that's his role. And I've seen people sort of ask, oh, why doesn't he have dual? Or, you know, is he going to play in the back row as well like he did at the Storm? No, he is 100% coming as a hooker. The Roosters barely have a backup hooker. They certainly don't have anyone else that can play big minutes at hooker. So at minimum, you know, you kind of think, well, he's 49 minutes. He's going to go back up to 60 minutes. That's, that's got to be a guarantee. Uh, so all of a sudden you look at his numbers and stuff and go, well, that's just from his minutes, Luke, that's 10 points per game straight away. You know, that's a 55 average straight away, 10 points of value. So I, I like him as an option. Uh, I'm not going to go and say he's a must-have, which I've seen a few people around the traps decide, oh, look, he's a must-have. He's one of the first. He, he's not that. But he does have the upside to have a very good year. Um, and some of this last part is going to come down to narrative. Now, certainly if he plays 65 minutes a game, there could be 20 points per game in value. He could he could easily go up to 65 points per game. I don't see that out of the realm of possibility at all. And the Roosters do need him. The narrative part for me, Luke, he had a bad season last year. There was reports of him on the outer. He wasn't that motivated. And he's coming into this Rooster side, first year in a new club, point to prove, a lot of media coverage. But the biggest thing for me is in the last couple of years, he's changed his body shape and Bellamy has changed him as a player to be much more of a back rower slash utility rather than a hooker first, which was obviously Grant. He's coming into this Rooster side. Trenton Robinson and his staff have absolutely flogged this guy in the preseason. He's already drop, dropping down weight. He's already talking about how he needs to get more chiseled and it's starting to happen in Bondi. And he, he's going to be a number nine again. And if you remember when he was a number nine, you know, that body build is really going to help him a lot more this year than what it was last year. So I'm putting a bit of belief in the Roosters making him a nine again and, and the fitness regime in the preseason and everything else. But he does look a little bit slimmer. Um, so some of that's narrative, Luke. But for me, as a second hooker, he's really good for round one because he's a guy that you can play and get your 55-plus points a game and not spend too much and put that money elsewhere. Uh, and, I mean, I guess there is even an argument that you could make that if you're not sold on Grant, and I'll, I'll give everyone a little bit of a a preview here at the moment, this may very well change, so I'm not going to submit myself to it. But Brandon Smith is my number one hooker at the moment because I wanted to stack my halves and my fullback spots. And it's the only way I could do it. So, you know, even as that, if you're getting 55 points per game for that price, you know, I can see some value in looking at that. And he's got upside. Luke, am I getting overboard on the Roosters new recruit though? No, I love him. Um, I think it's pretty obvious. I don't think a lot of that stuff is narrative. It's common sense. He played the year before. He sort of almost won the hooking spot from Grant where, where he, Grant had some injuries and stuff and, and Smith played so well and he was really dominant at hooker in those games and scored really well. I had him in the middle of the year and he, he, he was killing it. But um, 
what ended up happening is they sort of had decided last year to go with Grant and they built Smith to play lock. And, and the bottom line is that affects his scores a lot. But when he also went to hooker, when Grant was injured quite a bit and when Smith went into hooker, he wasn't really in the shape to do what he needed to do. And you saw that in the World Cup as well. He, he really let them down, actually. Um, and he was really poor. And, and one of the reasons he was really poor in the semi-final was he was he was gassed um, from being not in the right shape to play dummy half. But it's not really particularly his fault because it, it that's how it, it works. You can't will your mind into being in shape. They shaped his body to be an impact bench forward. Um, and he's going back to his hooking shape. He's going into a really good team. And uh, I, I think he'll be really good. He's my starting hooker. I'm not going with Grant. I'm going with Smith as my first choice hooker. And I see him, I think that he, it is almost inconceivable that he won't be in the top four or five hookers this year. It is every possibility that he could be second to third. And his price is way lower than both those things, in my view, um, at the moment. So I think it's a no-brainer. I don't think he'll out average grant but he's so much cheaper that's not really really a question and on everyone else he's still much cheaper than all the other guys that i think he's in genuine competition with the score as well as you can do so much with that money from grant to smith it's yeah and look one of the reasons that i like um stacking the halves having the playmakers is also a reason that brandon smith could could be better again as well. And that is, it's been raised, you know, around different groups and things and everything. But the the change of interpretation on onside and offside with the two feet behind the two feet behind mm. the referee required is just going to give that extra bit of time. So you're going to have more space and time. And when you've got more space and time, what you might find is that these playmakers can actually have a little bit of extra opportunity. And we all know that Brandon Smith likes to run the ball a little bit. And with that extra space, he could actually get himself some extra points running that ball as well. So that ruck is going to be... A, he could a bit... score a lot of tries. Forget like running out of dummy half further down the field. Near the try line, that rule is going to be quite deadly. It will him, be. He, yeah. he, he is a real problem. Um, he is in the top three players. You do not want to run the ball five, five ten metres out because he is a really big for cheap barge overs. Well, they're not cheap because he's actually very strong. It's not like it's bad defense. He's just hard to handle there, but they're cheap from an attacking point of view because you don't really earn it. If they get a, if they get a Warrior Hargraves or Lodge or one of the edge back rowers to crash ball at that and play it fast, he's going to be a nightmare with that rule near the line. Yeah, and that's the other thing too, that the Roosters will play some short balls too to some of those big fellas and yeah. that can work for him. Whereas with the Storm, I don't think they had that as much for him. Um, but... It's for anyone that's out there that's that's jumped that's either played hooker or jumped into hooker close to the line to try and be a hero like I, I did a few times because uh, <laughs> he used to love having a, a bit of a run close to the line if you're a little bit bigger and you could try and have a crack at a try. Uh, it's it's such a big difference in this rule because you you can be three meters out from the line and before you know somebody could basically be a meter in front of the line by putting their their foot ahead and the ref wasn't going to call it because they had that one foot you know back touching the line. And now you're actually running at a defender a few metres out that has to have their whole body behind the try line before they can move forward. So that you can get to them before they even get both feet past the try line to try and stop you. So just that momentum can get you over the line that much easier now. And that's that could be a really big deal for him. But I'll finish on a number for him. If you just look at last year's uh, numbers, even though he had a very poor season, if you look at his 55 minutes per game numbers, he actually averaged 66.5 points. And that's a sample of eight games, so it's not a small sample. Now, granted, some of that was playing as a middle forward, 
but it might not be that much difference anyway with him playing at hooker and with the running game that he'll have. So, you know, 55 minutes per game last year, those games, almost 67 points a game. You could take four points off that and take 63 a game. It's still going to be fantastic value and a guy that you can play each week. So I love him as an option, um, particularly that price point. Uh, if he was more expensive, then sure. Is there some risk? Yeah. But I don't think there's any risk that he's not going to go, you know, 10 points plus on his average. The risk is that he's maybe not going to go in the 60s. I think that's your only risk. And the upside on him, Luke, maybe he'll be an 80-minute player six weeks in. And then you'll have a, a boost of points coming in again on top of his values. So can't say enough about him. I, you know, one of my first picks for me, I'm not saying he's a must-have, but fantastic option. We're going to go on to the big balls pods here, Luke. There's a few of them for the Roosters side. But the first guy I want to talk about is Sammy Walker. Uh, Sammy Walker's coming in, uh, $623,900 price tag, coming off a season where he averaged just over 59 points a game. So that was actually down on his rookie season. His rookie season, he came on and he averaged 62 points a game and he was a gun straight away. A few points off, but interesting. Um, When you have a look at his numbers, the, the first third was very average for him. So the first third of the season, rounds one to 10, he only averaged 52 points a game. From round 10 to the end of the season, he averaged 64 uh, very consistently as well. So I do think that he started off the season where he had a, a bit of an injured shoulder as well. Um, he was a little bit slow. It's second year syndrome and all that sort of stuff. And the Roosters were a bit slow. But the Roosters started firing. They were a bit better. Sammy Walker was pretty consistent, averaging 64 points per game. Um, he also went 40 plus 87% of the time. So one of the things with Sam Walker in his first year was geez, worried about those low scores, the single-digit ones and the 20s and stuff. Went 40-plus a lot, 87% of the time. So he really got rid of that real low floor. Uh, he did have 16 try assists and 17 line break assists. Both were second on that Roosters team. But you look at that and go, well, for a dominant playmaker like him, 16 and 17 on the try assists and LBAs isn't exceptionally high. You know, we've seen other halfbacks even play with another dominant playmaker like like a Kiri sort of thing and still be able to go to sort of 20-plus on those numbers. And, and if you can do that, there's a huge amount of value per game. And then, again, you look at the fact that he's going to be goal-kicking uh, in that Roosters side. He is a quite a ballsy pod because, obviously, you've got Nico Hines and you've also got Nathan Cleary as two of the top players in the entire game. Both of those guys are very expensive, though. So... <laughs> If you're going to say not go for both of those guys and leave one out, who's the next best option? I don't think enough people are probably looking at Sam Walker as maybe a a third guy, um, especially opening up with the Dolphins and the Warriors. 8% ownership. He's not going to get to 10% plus, I don't think, by round one. So I actually, if I'm not going to have Cleary and Hines in my side, uh, then Sammy Walker would be the alternate that I'd pick up out of the pool and probably put in. So I'm pretty high on him this year, but obviously, Luke, young fella, um, you know, we saw a digression last year. How do you see him for 2023? Yeah, I'm not keen personally. Uh, I think that there's a lot of mouths to feed there and I'm confident Teddy gets his share because he's got that base and tackle bust and then he just has a big day in him. But but, but there'll be days where Kiri sets up a try. There'll be days where it's Walker, days where Tedesco goes off. Um, Walker doesn't have much else like to his game in terms of super coach. He's, he's a good young player in real life, but he, he needs to be getting clutch attack to score well. And 
yeah, even his goal kicking, like the problem is if they score 50 points, he's liable to miss like four of the 10 goals. Like he's not very good at it, to be frank. Um, it, it's, I don't, I just don't see it. I, I like him in real life. Um, I think if, like in a weird way, if Kiri was to get hurt again, I would start looking a lot closer just because I think the more Walker touches the ball, he's got that really off the cuff game where he really can step through the line and take the line on a lot, but you're still not going to see those giant numbers of ball handling and opportunities to do that when they're trying to feed Kiri, they're getting Manu into the middle of the field. They've got Teddy there. So I, I, I would just rather go a bit cheaper or shell out for both of the top guys personally. Um, it's not for me this year. Yeah. And that, that's a totally fair call. He's, He's floor still, like if you look at his base last year, it's 19 and his mm. scoring stats are 18 per game. So he, he his clutch attack stats are, are basically the same as his base stats, uh, which you don't mm. get too often. So It scares me. You get into a game and like you've got him and you're sitting there in the 50th minute and he hasn't set up a try yet and you're just crossing your fingers <laughs> going, like every time he touches it, just get out of jail. And that sort of stuff is just bad for your health as well. Sitting there being like, and then it usually does get one, you know, it'll be the 70th minute and he, kicks for a try and saves you from a shocking score and you're relieved, but I can't stand watching too many games like that. <laughs> Unless he's going to be out and out, kill it. I, I, I could do without that stress. Well, the glass half full is, geez, it makes <laughs> yeah. it exciting. Oh, yeah, I don't need it. I don't need excitement, <laughs> don't need excitement in, in anymore. your life. Not anymore. <laughs> well, look, I think with Sam Walker, it's probably the same with a few other Roosters options, where it's, if you think that the Roosters are going to start really hard and fast and score a lot of points against the Dolphins and Warriors, then he becomes a really quite an interesting option. If you think they're going to be average or, or start slow, which they have last year, then, you know, a lot of these options, just straight them out the window. If that's what you believe in the Roosters for the start of the season, don't go for those type of guys. You know, I think they're going to start really well the first couple of weeks. So I'm looking at sort of a strike pod just to have one of those Roosters that can eat uh, a lot of those attacking stats up. And Sam Walker is going to be goal kicking. So so I, I have looked at him hard. I'm not going to lie. I do think that he's going to be a 65-plus point per game halfback this year and sort of come into his own as that sort of third halfback option behind Nico Hines and Nathan Cleary. But, of course, Nathan Cleary and Hines are going to be better if you can fit those in your team than those are the guys you should be getting. But as an alternate, as a pod, first two rounds, I really like Sammy Walker before he hit South and then that by. Nat Butcher, he really came into his own last year. 580,000 this year, coming off a 55-point average. He averaged 68 points per game when he played a starting edge role for 80 minutes. So it's just it's pretty crazy, um, the value that you could get from a Nat Butcher. He increases to 71 points a game when you look at his games on the right edge. You know, he he really liked that edge. He had seven games there. And he averaged 71 a game. And he did it with a really good work rate coupled with uh, a much higher attacking ceiling than what we've seen from him in the past. When he came into grade, he was a workhorse. He was like a Dallas Johnson lock type. And that always meant that he had a really good base, but he didn't have he didn't have offloads. He didn't have many tackle breaks. And he certainly didn't have try scoring. He scored four tries in a game last season. And for the year, even including his bench games and the games that he wasn't on his preferred edge, he still averaged almost 50 points per game in base-base attack, which for an edge back row is actually really, really good. So you know that he's got the work rate in him and we saw a bit of the base attack and also the try scoring in him last year. I was on him, Luke, early on because I looked at the projections and went, wow, like average of 55, his price stat, he should at least get 65-plus a game, but maybe he gets into that elite status, especially playing in that Rooster system. And he's a, he's a real bargain, but also a strike weapon early on. 
There's been talk in the preseason though now that Egan Butcher, his brother, has been training on that edge. So I'm not too sure what to make of that. I'd be really surprised if Nat Butcher doesn't get that edge role, but the way the training reports are coming through and people watching the training, uh, Egan Butcher's been training on that edge. So it's an interesting one. If Nat Butcher's starting on that edge for 80 minutes, I think he's a fantastic option and I would actually pay the extra 100000 for him over, say, you know, a Garner or some of these popular guys um, because he does have that huge upside that he can put on in that first, in those early rounds and he's still not very expensive. Uh, have you looked at Nat Butcher very much in this preseason? Not closely. If he got the starting spot, I'd have to look. But it, he's in this weird zone because it's like you're right that it's 100 and something up from, say, a Garner and um, even a Katoa or 150 up from a Katoa. But it's also like only another 100 to just have Angus Crichton uh, as well, and I can't really foresee having both with a buy in round four. Um, so if you weren't looking at Crichton and you wanted to go to move one of your budget guys up and you, your build lets you do that, I would certainly look at that at the, at the price. But I'd be, if you're looking at Angus, you probably can't have both. That's a lot, a lot of back row out at round four. Um, and he's, it is an awkward price because it's not just Angus either. You also look up and you're like, it's under 100k to a David Fafita. It's, you know, 100. 140 to a Cameron Murray, like all these really good players also don't seem like a huge step up from there that you can lock in all season um, without the risk. You, you worry a bit that Robbo might fiddle around with the edges and things like that. But look, if he starts on the right edge, you'd have to have a look. He, he'll score well there. He's only 3% owned. So he's a very, very big mm. quad. Um, and certainly, you know, I, I had him in as sort of my third starting second row forward and I really liked it. But the extra risk there that has come into it with, him not being on that right edge the whole time in the first side with the training that the Roosters have been doing lately. That's um that scared me off a little bit. If he ends up starting there, you know, he's he's gonna be an option. The other thing that's a bit scary too is that it, it is fair to say he's got that bigger upside. He's only twenty five. He could really come into his own. I could see him being one of the top few second row forward options for the year. That's his upside. But the downside is that he does have quite a few games where he is starting even on that right hand side where it's uh, sort of 50s and he even has some lower games there which are disappointing he finished on two really disappointing low games admittedly they were against the storm away in round 24 and souths uh in round 25 but he went 41 and 36 those two games uh and you know that was basically base games with errors so 42 base 46 base and then you took the errors out so he does have that in him as well uh, and because of his age and the sample sizes and the inexperience of him being a starting right edge back row playing 80 minutes, you not only got the risk of the role, but you've also got the risk of who is he? Who is Nat Butcher as a super coach option? We don't really know. He could be a lot better than what we've seen. He could be what we've seen, which is very good, uh, or he could actually be not quite as good as what we've seen, and then it ends up being a bit of a poor buy at 580000 And we've seen all that play out with similar type of guys before. So... Risky option, uh, but it is a big balls pod because it could pay off. He did score four tries in one game last year. It could happen again against the Dolphins or the Warriors in the first two of the Roosters are firing. Daniel Tubo, we're not going to spend too much time on because, you know, all the fans will say you just you just love Tubes too much, Barnsley. That's fine. You know, I'm I'm happy to be a Tubo lover, but uh, in your centre wing for about 600000 Tupo is a guy that can score a double those first two weeks of the year and average 90 points. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm looking for. If you're looking for a strike weapon for the first couple of weeks, 
That's great. Um, he only had high scores of 105 and 107 last year, and those were both, you know, double try scoring games. His other doubles were sort of 83 to 93 points a game. Um, but he does have those doubles in him. He certainly has them in him when the Roosters are running right against sides like potentially the Dolphins and the Warriors the first two weeks. So I will say that um, I, I think if you're going to spend on one centre wing, um, he has a good floor because his his base base attack generally gets him to around the mid 40s. So he's never going to have those bad scoring games. He doesn't have those 140, 150 type point scoring games that will kill you. But, you know, if you want him to play that, you know, center wing roulette and burn your trades on that, you could always just have him for a couple of weeks as a pod because he's 2% ownership at the moment. He's probably going to be 1% ownership by the time we kick off. He's a big balls pod for a reason, Luke. I would aim expectations that, you know, if he has a blast of the first two weeks, he's not going to have a bad floor if he doesn't, and he's going to give you 90 points a game, something like that, the first couple of weeks. That's kind of where I'd, I'd pin him at. And against other centering options, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say I had a soft spot. I have looked at starting him for that reason and to get him out for that round four buy, uh, but I've pulled back on that because it's just too hard to get the money to go around elsewhere. Yeah, I think so. It's hard to afford, but we know what Daniel Tupu is now. If you think the Roosters are going to come out and score 50 in the first two weeks twice, then by all means, have a look. He won't you know, be shocking, and I think we all sort of know what sort of player he is. He's going to have some good weeks and bad weeks, and he's probably just one I'd keep an eye on during the season. If you see a good run and his price has dropped a bit, jump on. Now, the controversial discussion here, um, almost finishing off the Roosters chat, Suwilei is... Finding his way into some sides, probably more than what I expected. He's in 19% ownership at the moment, and there's been a bit of a groundswell for him. He's priced off 56.1 points per game, 590,400. He obviously had a quite a good season. Um, certainly at times showed himself to be a, a real um, star of the future. 19% ownership really, really got to me, Luke, because even as a Roosters fan, um, you know, he's he's rumoured to be moving to centre. I'm sure that that's going to end up what what's going to happen. And people have asked me, you know, is that better for him? Is that going to be good for him? I'm not really sure because he scored a lot of tries on the wing last year. He had four games where he scored doubles and he just was a try scoring machine. And a lot of those try scoring games, he didn't actually score that well. Um, But you could see in real life, he played well. His base base attack was nice. It's edging towards 40, which is really good for a guy his age playing off the wing. But in the centres, he's going to get more tackles. He's going to get more touches, but he's probably going to lose tries. And because he was getting so many tries last year and he's such a good try scorer, that kind of worries me that it evens out a little bit. And maybe he, you know, I'm sure that he'll probably average 60 something, but if he goes from a 56 average to a 61 average, is it worth shelling out that money for the start of the year? Uh, and I do think that he is a guy who playing at the centres, he might be like a Joey Manu early on where he goes to centre and it takes him a bit of time to find out his role. Um, he doesn't get a lot of focus or a lot of ball compared to, say, Manu on the other side uh, or, or from the playmakers and, and obviously Tedesco, you know, and they just kind of let him just feel his way in. I see Suali having that type of season. I think at the start of the season playing centre, you'd have to kind of get lucky on the draw that he actually brains it and goes sort of 70-plus a game or something like that. I just don't see it. And, yeah, for that reason, I think it's a bit of a mistake going in for 90% ownership. I think that there's probably better options to go for. Uh, and I think that he's just, you know, that's not a slight on him. He's just a young guy going to go into a new position. He's not going to be that much of a focal point. He'll probably get a, a few more touches, but, you know, that's going to equate to some base stats, which aren't going to equate to his attacking opportunity he had last year. 
No, I'm not keen on it. Uh, you know, it's easy to say he gets a few more touches, but when you come off the back fence, there's a lot of plus twos in tackle bus, and you don't always get those when um, those aren't outweighed by extra tackles at centre and getting the ball flat with a straight defensive line. It's harder to bust tackles, and you don't always make your eight over eight metres. So I, I don't think that he's based. They might go up a little bit, but it won't be magnificently higher. Um, he's a target in the air, which is harder to kick to a centre. Uh, you can kick those flat kicks, but it's very hard to kick those chip bombs to a centre. They really do need to be at the winger. So that, you know, maybe they'll be smart enough to shift him back to the wing on play five and, and whatever, but you could lose a few there. And more to the point, it's just I don't think he's going to be in the top four or five centre wings uh, for the year, and I, he's not cheap. So to me, I'm not sure what you're doing. Like if you think the Roosters are going to come out super hard at the start of the year, there's probably about six guys we've been through that could go massive. Um, so I'm not sure why you'd pick Sawali as your one to ride the draw with. You could, you've got Teddy and Manu and Angus and Walker and even Akiri. Like there's all these guys you could pick to ride the draw that seem safer to me. And, you know, just go back to the tried principles. Is he in the top? Is he likely to be a keeper for the whole season? It's like, well, probably not. Um, is he cheap? Not really. So what's the, what's the lure to get him in for round one? I don't really see it. I mean, I think that people will probably go, well, he can be a strike weapon, like I said, with Tupo for the first couple of weeks. and stuff. Mm. But, but There's I a lot even... of guys in that team. If you want to back the Roosters, like if, if you're going to back the Roosters and you think someone's going to go big in the first couple of weeks, I mean, go through the team. Like you, we've, we've done it. We've got Tedesco, Manu, Kiri, I take Tupo over him. Like it's, Tupo, it seems yeah. very controversial, but I take Tupo for the same price for the first couple of weeks. Over, I, I just take someone else, yeah. I, he might go fine, but I, I haven't, you know, He's a lot of his points have come off really big clutch attack that he that he hasn't set up himself. He's he's looked really good as an NRL player, but some of the tries he scored and stuff, it hasn't been like oh wow he's beaten ten players and done all this. It's been finishing off or catching in the air. His general play is really good and solid, but that his actual game hasn't screamed super coach points to me as yet. I haven't seen a super high work rate or um, an insane amount of tackle busting and offloads. He just looks a good player. But I haven't seen something that says to me that he's just going to explode with super coach points with individual efforts. And that's what you're really looking for at that price. You need him to do special things um, to, to raise his price. I think people are underestimating how different it's going to be for him playing centre. Um, but I'm just going to mention this guy and then move on. The other mistake for, for round one is going to be the, the people that do jump on Kiri, and there's a few percent that mm. are. Um, I will say, though, that uh, Kiri had a absolute belter of a season before he got hurt a couple of years ago. Uh, and generally you got one ACL season that you're injured, one ACL season that you're returning from the ACL and then you're back. Uh, I think the Kiri will be back this year and that's going to help the Roosters, but it's going to help more the guys around him than, than actually him. But when we're looking at mid-value options, the front row forwards, we've got Collins and Lodge. Uh, obviously, takiaho has gone out of that rotation. And Warrior Hargraves is going to have less minutes probably again than what he's had before. So guys like Collins and Lodge are going to need to step up. I think that a lot of people are in the front row forward spot where you're looking at these mid guys, sort of four to 500K that might be able to be playable each week. And especially for front row forward, that might be a better option on your build to just get points out of those guys. Collins had no attacking stats in 2022 and almost no um, base attack stats. The problem with that is that he didn't do a lot when he did get to start, but his points in the past and his potential have been good, uh, where he have had 59 points per game, playing one minute less than his 43 points per game in 2022. 
So he dropped 16 points per game despite getting an extra minute a game. You know, that's not good. But he's also a guy that was coming off an ACL. So maybe he goes back to that high 50s or mid 50s. But his minutes at the mid 40s should probably go into the 50s, you would hope. Someone like Lodge is kind of the same boat. You know, Lodge is coming in and he's coming off 49 points per game at 43 minutes. We saw the year before playing 52 minutes a game. He was at 57 points, so eight points of value. There's definitely value in these guys, Luke. I, I can see both of them getting between five and 10 minutes a game more each, um, particularly Lodge, um, because he only had that 43 minutes a game last year. Do we see either of them, though, in that mid-range category as being someone that you could throw in your front row forward spot to try and take a spot and save some money on getting you know, a, a Payne Haas or these other guys? Uh, I'd look at Collins at the price. Uh, I think Lodge is probably a bit much. I, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather go up from there. But I, I don't. I'm not. I don't have Collins in my build. But I think everyone should look in that range. You've got Collins at 455. You've got a Welsh from Melbourne at 460. Daniel Safidi's in the 400s. I think we saw last year. Um, albeit a lot cheaper, the way the Kings went, particularly Josh King, is that the people got a lot of value out of going cheap in the front row uh, and using it elsewhere because it's the spot that's less likely to hurt you and that's important. So not taking Hass or Tapane or whoever you like up front, uh, along with Hooker, is probably the position that's least likely to burn you because they're likely, if they go well and you go, oh, gee, I wish I got Hass, he's going well, that's likely to be 80s. Um, or, or someone scoring 80 every week and you wish you had them rather than someone scoring 150 and, you know, like if you don't take a Cleary or you don't take two-gun fullbacks. So there's definitely, I, I think if you, I, I wouldn't say you go in looking for a Collins, but what I would say is you put, you fill a lot of other positions out first. Don't worry too much about getting a top-tier prop in. And when you've got all the guys you want in the other positions and you see what you've got to play in the front row, if your money will only stretch to the mid-400s, I'd be perfectly comfortable taking a punt on a, a Welsh Safidi or Collins type. And that's just really pick your poison. You've got to pick one of these guys and they're all a bit of a punt. But I think there'll be a front rower like that in my team. I don't know who it'll be yet. And I wouldn't hesitate on doing that because you could quite easily come out and have them get 50 every week and watch a Tappany or Hass or a scoring 60 every week for 150 more or 200 more and you're laughing. Um, and if, if Hass or Tappany or whoever that, that top prop is, is scoring 80 and your guy scoring 50, it's still not burning you, not in the way that leaving out Tedesco or Cleary or whoever can if they go 150, 150. So I, I would just keep him on a short list. When we get to round one, you might need to pick one of those guys and I wouldn't hesitate to do it if you have to. Yeah, I'm on Luke Thompson at the moment in that price range and I really mm. like that. Um, and I'm I'm going to stick with that despite being a Roosters fan. But I can see Lindsay Collins going from a 43 to a 50-something average mm. and certainly Lodge from a 49. He projects to a 57 average if he gets 50 to 52 minutes a game, which seems pretty likely. So there's definitely value there. And mm. there's definitely, you know, I think both of them are going to average in the 50s. If, if Collins sexy. averaged 55, I would take if, – if, if I was guaranteed mm. that, I'd take that now um, without hesitating too much. If they were yeah. like, you're going to get him for 50 – he's going to average 55 points. I would lock that in no worries and back some of those top guys to, you know, have their minutes managed early on and end up only averaging 70 and I'm 15 points behind with 200K in the bank. Uh, I'm not worried yeah. about – too much about gun props. I might lock one in, but I'm, I'm, I wouldn't stress if I had to go in that range. So I'd definitely keep him in mind if you agree with Barnsley on that sort of average. Yeah, the downside is he might just average like 50 on the nose and then it's yeah. a little bit boring mm. and not quite as good, but it's still seven points a day. You just don't feel great about it and playing it in your side each week. Um, look, there's a few mid-range guys. Alan, don't go near him uh, unless he's named to start and then we can start looking at him because he's cheap. 
Hutchison, I am super surprised at, is owned by 7% of coaches at the moment. And I I do not understand why 7% of coaches have Hutchison. Even if you think that he's on the bench um, and he's going to play in the second row as well as spell hooker. You know, he actually got decent minutes last year, albeit as a bit of a utility that played everywhere, literally everywhere. But, you know, he's, he's priced on 41 minutes a game last year and he got 22 points a game in that. Yeah, a lot of it wasn't in the forwards, but, you know, when he started at hooker, you know, he, he still wasn't phenomenal. You know, he had a 29-minute game where he played 80 minutes at hooker, a 20-point to a 9-point game, 80 minutes at hooker. is just awful. And then he backed it up by playing at centre for 26 points at the end for 80 minutes and stuff like that. Like, he's got a lot of that in him. And he's obviously not going to be starting. And, you know, I'd start... Seven percent of coaches get him out of your side. I know he's cheap and stuff, but put other guys in. Like I'd rather spend forty k less and get get Wong in for the Roosters. He'll probably get a game down the track. You may as well. You know, it's going to be more valuable and save a trade. But Egan Butcher is the one guy to finish on. You know, if Egan Butcher does win that role where he is the starting edge back rower, he should be one of the most highly owned players in the game. Um, if he was cheaper, the problem with him is that he's four hundred eighty two thousand. So, you know, you kind of look at him and go, oh, Egan Butcher, he's probably going to be 250000 300000 No, he's 482000 So whilst he meets that bill as a mid-ranger, and whilst I think that he could average 60-plus points a game and have a lot of value if he's playing 80 minutes on that edge, there's just so much risk there and you don't know and it could go really badly and you just couldn't go anywhere near him. So unfortunately, on the, the mids and cheapies area, Luke, to finish up on the Roosters, they don't really have a hell of a lot of options that you could go near. No, they've got a settled team. Um, Smith's coming in, but it's a fairly settled lineup overall, and that's great for them, but not great for um, spying up uh, big super coach opportunities, unfortunately. So there was one other mid-ranger that we're not really going to discuss back and forth. I'm just going to mention that was Jackson Paulo. Paulo's uh, apparently going to start on that wing, and obviously any Roosters winger is going to be of some interest and is going to garner some attention. He's coming in on a price of 457000 So I'm just going to say outright, no interest, uh, see how he goes during the year. But when you have a look at his career, you can actually see that he's basically been like a, a low 40s type of guy, even given the opportunity. Even at Souths last year, he had 11 games where he basically averaged 40 points a game. He had a strike rate of around, you know, one in three games of scoring a try. Souths are obviously a decent attacking side. So you think that if he translated straight across, it's probably going to be something pretty similar. 457000 isn't actually very cheap. So I'd rather be paying, you know, 150K less and getting some of those fullbacks in there that are a little bit dirty and might not be very good. They might not work out either, but it's 150K less. I just, I think that he's priced out of the market. He's only 1% owned at the moment. So we're not going to spend any more time on him. That does actually conclude the Roosters portion of the podcast. We are going to split this one up into parts one and part two. So this is part one of the Roosters and Knights discussion with Luke Garrity. Part two is going to be available very shortly after this one. So go and grab that one as well. But for getting this podcast and the future episodes, make sure you jump on either SoundCloud, Amazon, iTunes, or Spotify. You can also subscribe on those as well. Give them a share around. It's great to get more listeners on board and the responses. Again, this preseason have been phenomenal. So thank you very much. You can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Otherwise, make sure that you download part two where you can hear me and Luke continue this conversation and podcast chatting about the Newcastle Knights. Can't wait to chat to you again real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Hey.
Scott.